Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the preparation of Abraham and how, when it says in Scripture, the glory of God appeared, that it tells us that God took initiative in reaching man. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. They exalted science without God. That was they celebrated their scientific achievements. So that was a society that was out to conquer their obstacles without God, prove they could do it, and in fact build this tower with a commitment to go to where God was. So they veered away from God, and as a result of that, they brought in the flood that we studied about. And so now God started again with Noah. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study from the book of Genesis, every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Now, Abram, it's made up of two words, ab or av, and, uh, which means father, and ram, which means high. So it literally means high father. And Abram will keep that name for many chapters, all the way till chapter 17, verse 5, when God will change his name. And then he'll change his name to Abraham or Avraham. And again, two words, Av, which is a father, and then another word, Raham, which is an unused root. It's not altogether clear at all what that means, but most accept that it means a multitude. So Abraham or Avraham probably means a father of a multitude. Now, Nahor here, who will be the grandfather of Rebekah, who's going to marry Abraham's son Isaac, and then there's Haran here, the father of Lot. So we see in verse 28 that tragedy strikes the home of Abraham's father, Terah, because one of his sons, Herod, dies. He dies, it's stated there, Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of nativity and Ur of the Chaldees. A father should never, ever, ever see his children die. Parents should not see their children die. And we can just imagine how upsetting this was. In fact, it's emphasized that, I don't, we don't know what happened, but he died before his father. And if not actually literally dying in front of him, it hit him as it would anybody, like a train. And we see him leave uh, Ur. We see the father, Terah, leave Ur with his son, Abram. And so Abram now leaves Ur because he leaves Ur. And we're going to find here that God has called him to leave Ur. But we don't read anywhere that God called Terah to leave. And we don't know why Terah left, but Terah decided to leave. Maybe, maybe he was just broken over the death of his son Nahor and wanted to get out. We don't know. But, I mean, over the death here. And, but Nahor, uh, his brother Abram, goes along with Abram. And we know that, we'll find here in a minute, that Terah dies along the way. But in verse 28, we read that they are, they're from this place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. Ur, the Chaldean word, means fire. And history tells us that the people of Ur worshipped fire. They worshipped fire, they worshipped stars, they worshipped light. They were animists. They were animists, like we have many in Ethiopia. And we can ask the question of what was life like for Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. What was life like? For, or what was Abraham like when he was in Ur of the Chaldees? So fortunately, we have an answer to this question if you'd like to turn to it in Joshua chapter 24, 
verses 2 and 3, we uh, can get the answer to that question, what life was like for Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees. Because here, it's very important for Joshua, for God, to instruct the Jewish people about their forefather, Abraham, and to tell them about him, as, as God did in several places in the Bible. But this particular place says that Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. So first of all, here Joshua is clarifying, don't think that they were part of that evil group that God destroyed in the flood. They were on the other side of the flood, so far, the so-called purified ones. And it says, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. They served other, Terah served other gods. Nahor served other gods. Abram served other gods. They served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. So we have said they served other gods. And what God said he did is he took him and he led him. That's what he says he did. I took Abraham and I led him. He was serving other gods and God intervened on Abraham's life and took him and led him. So we ask the question, the next question is, how did God take and lead Abraham? How did God take and lead Abraham? Or we could ask the broader question, because Abraham, well, we see him in this verse here in Joshua, a city of idolatry, of animism, and he's worshiping, serving other gods. And then later on, we're going to see him as the friend of God. So the natural question is, how did Abraham find God? How did Abraham fight God? How did, how did God do that, take and lead him? And the answer to that question, and turn, if you would, to this place, is Acts chapter 7, verse 2. So in Acts 7, verse 2, we have the answer to the question as to how God, or how Abraham found God. All right? Acts 7, Stephen's last words. He had a lot of last words, a whole chapter in the Bible, Acts 7. But, you know, only one opportunity, and Stephen took it. All right, so Acts 7, 2, where Stephen is speaking about this very time, and he says, he said, men, brethren, fathers, hearken, and he says these words, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. You think I got a problem with names? They changed these names in the New Testament, Old Testament. So, Haran, anyway. anyway, Before he dwelt there, God appeared, and verse 3, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Haran, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. Now, notice how this verse identifies God as the God of glory. He's not just God. He's the God of glory. That title is in stark contrast to the false gods that they had in that place of Ur of the Chaldees, the gods of fire and light and stars, because there's only one true God. There's only one true God. There's only one true God of glory. He is the God of glory. There's only one God. He is the God of glory. And he does not allow his glory to be stolen. He doesn't allow that. He doesn't allow. He's a jealous God when it comes to his glory. And he says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That's my name. 
That's what he says. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Isaiah 42.8. So God is the true God of glory. And he exposes the counterfeit nature of false gods. Those gods that Abraham was serving in his family and so forth, all people of earth, those were false gods. They were counterfeit gods. And the God of glory, the glory of God, the glory of God is the credit, the brilliance for what he has done. And he says in Exodus 12, 12, for I will pass on the night of the Passover. He said, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And then he said, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So now, notice how it says the God of glory appeared. He appeared. You know, all the religions of man have one common characteristic, and it's all like this. That's all the religions of man. It's man reaching up to God. It's man taking the initiative to find God, to reach God. That's all. You package all the religions of man's religions, and they're all about man taking the initiative to reach up to God. They teach that man can earn his way to heaven by taking the initiative through his good works toward his fellow man, his religious acts of the sacraments. Those are all man reaching up to God. You have to do these things if you want to reach God. Now, the Bible makes it very clear in Galatians 2.16 that that's not the case with the truth because it says in Galatians 2.16 that a man's not justified by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And then it says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now the phrase, the God of glory appeared. That's a very important phrase, the God of glory appeared, because it tells us that man finds God, not because man takes the initiative and reaches up to God with his good works. That phrase, the God of glory appeared, teaches us there's only one way that man finds God, and that's by man responding to God's initiative, reaching down, God reaching down to man. So the phrase, the God of glory appeared, tells us that God took the initiative. God took the initiative when God the Father gave his Son, according to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He took the initiative and gave. He made the overture to give his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God took the initiative when the Lord Jesus Christ accepted the challenge from the Father in Psalm 40, verse 7, and said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it's written of me. God took the initiative when the Lord Jesus Christ became the Son of Man in Isaiah 7, 14, when, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God took the initiative when the Lord Jesus Christ agreed to be killed as a sacrifice for man's sin. According to Daniel 9.26, that after the threescore and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Now Abraham found God because God first took the initiative to reach Abraham. The God of glory appeared unto Abraham. And Abraham then responded to God's call. And anyone who finds God will find God because God first took the initiative to reach men. God took the initiative to reach all men and is calling on all men everywhere 
as it says in Acts 17.30, now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And anyone who finds God only finds him because he's responding to God's overture that he made. As he said in Acts 2.37, when the question was asked to Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, Jewish people, and to your children, and to all that are far off, Gentile people, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he called off. The gospel is God's call to man to repent of their sins and believe the Lord Jesus died for those sins and be saved by God from those sins. Now notice how the verse says, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. When he was in Mesopotamia, that's the point that's made by uh, Stephen. When in Mesopotamia, that's where Abraham was, and it's emphasizing that Abraham found God in the middle of his, this idolatrous city. And he found God as a sinner. Abraham was a sinner. And so that's like Romans 5.8. But God commanded his love toward Abraham, toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Abraham found God before he received the sacrament of circumcision. I wonder if the Catholic Church would ever call the sacrament of circumcision. It doesn't matter. I call it the sacrament of circumcision. It's not a popular sacrament. It's a painful one. Take it from me. I remember when I was eight days old. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but it was before he received this sacrament of circumcision. And speaking of Abraham's justifying faith, which he had before his circumcision, as it says in Romans 4.12, the faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. And notice in the verse there how God's call to Abraham was a call to get thee out, leave. That was God's command, to repent, leave sin, which in Abraham's case was the sin of idolatry, and who knows and who cares what else. But no one can find God unless they are willing to be done with their sin. They have to be willing to be done, finished, want nothing more to do with it. And Abraham responded to God's command to leave. So that's the way it is with us. In, first, in 2 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18, where the question is asked to us, what concord, where's the agreement between Christ and Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And be a father unto you, and you should be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, notice in the verse how God's call to Abraham was not only to get thee out, but to come into the land. God's call is an invitation. God's call to Abraham was an invitation to leave sin and come. Leave sin and come. We want to repent and be finished with our sins because it's our sins that are separating us from God. That's the problem with our sins, among other problems. But one of the problems is that they separate us from God. As it says in Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So God's call to Abraham was to leave and come, leave and come. God is not calling us to come to a church 
God is not calling us to come to a group of believers. God is not calling us to come to a religion. God is not calling us to come to a denomination. God is not calling us to come and be a Catholic. God is not calling us to come and be a Baptist. God is calling us to himself. And that's what it says in Exodus 19.4 when he was explaining to the people of Israel what happened to them as he took them out of Egypt. It says, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, Exodus 19.4, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. God says, I brought you unto myself. That's exactly the same words that the Lord used in John 14.3 when he said he ought to prepare a place for you. He's going to come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Now, We come now in verse 29, and we read that the two surviving sons of Terah, Abram and Nahor, took wives, evidently in Ur, the Chaldee, and Abram's wife, his name is Sarai. That's what it says. It says they took wives. It never says they took husbands. It always says the husbands took wives. It makes, anyway, so much for courting. Uh, So they took the wives. And so before they left for Ur of the Chaldee, Abraham takes this wife, Sarai, And then we read in verse 30 of a tragedy, as we've mentioned in the family. We haven't mentioned this. This is the second tragedy. Verse 30 now, we come to the tragedy in the family of Abram. Verse 30 is very, very important. It stands alone, and it speaks volumes about the heartache that we can only imagine is between this dear couple Abram and Sarai, with these words, Sarai was barren, and in case we didn't understand, it goes on to say, she had no child. It's like the Lord when he said, you know, he sleepeth, and finally he had to say, he's dead. But anyway, it says Sarai was barren, and she had no child. That was a terrible, terrible problem. It was a terrible stigma for Abram and Sarai. It's a terrible problem today. You know, scan bodies, we make one of the top fertility tests on the market called first response ovulation, or first response OV. So, you know, you get these focus groups of infertile couples and you get them together and they're interviewed and so you can find out how you position this product on the market. And you think that with all the emphasis on contraception that the real problem is couples trying not to get pregnant? I was surprised to learn how deep a problem this is. It affects, it looks like it affects one in four couples in the U.S., of infertility. It's very hard on couples with the thoughts of why can't we have children? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Were we really meant for each other? Dad, today you talked about the sequence of events that happened when Abraham obeyed God and left Ur of the Chaldees. Can you summarize for our listeners how this applies to our lives? Yes, it's a very important verses that we covered in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, where it really gives what happened to Abraham. It says, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said unto him, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Karen, and and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land. What we see in there is a very important sequence of events that has application to us. First, it says the God of glory appeared. 
that shows to us that God always takes the initiative in reaching out to man. That's When you look at John 3.16, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can say that is a verse of initiative. That's God's initiative. It was God, quite apart from us, that decided to love the world, and he decided to give his only begotten son. He decided to set up his salvation plan that whoever believes or trusts or relies in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the first thing we understand is that we worship a God who takes the initiative. Second, when it says that he did this to Abraham, when Abraham was in Mesopotamia, that would be symbolic of us being in sin. That's very similar to what it says in Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while Abraham was yet in Mesopotamia, the God of glory appeared to him. And so we understand that what it means here is that our God is one who took the initiative to save us while we were in sin. The next point it says there is that what God said to Abraham is that he must come out. He had to come out. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from the place where you're in your comfort zone, from your own family, get thee out. What we understand from this is that God is the God who calls us to separate ourselves from the world. This is what it means in 2 Corinthians six seventeen when it says, wherefore, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. If we want to get close to God, we have to get far from the world. If we want to come to God, we have to leave the world. That's the meaning for us where it says, get thee out of thy country. God is the God who calls us to separate ourselves from the world which is against God. And then it says, God says, and come. And that was God's invitation to Abraham. He says, and come into the land, which I will show thee. That's the great offer. Before we were saved, we, we understood Matthew eleven twenty eight that, that the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to us, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We understood there was an offer of rest from him. When it says in Isaiah 55, 1, ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come ye buy wine and milk without price and without, without money and without price. We understand that God is offering us a good things to come to him, things of satisfaction, things of fulfillment, things of peace, things of rest. We understand the offer, and Abraham understood the offer. But then there was something very, very important in those verses in Acts 7, where it says in verse 4, then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans. Then came he. That's our responsibility. We must come. When the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking through Moses, said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, both thou, that both thou and thy seed may live. In other words, the responsibility is on man. Don't let anyone ever tell you that somehow God makes the choice for you, that God makes the choice for anybody, that God decides who is going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. Yes, he does who's decide who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. He decides to save everyone who makes their own free will choice to choose God, and that is man's responsibility. God does not do that. Man does that. 
that. That's why he holds man responsible for that choice when he said in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Why would he ever say something like that to a person unless that person was responsible to repent, was responsible for his decision? So when it says about Abraham, then came he, that is marking down the great move that Abraham made, the decision that Abraham made. That was all Abraham's decision. God didn't predecide that Abraham was going to make that decision. Abraham made that decision, and that's why it's called out in verse 4 of Acts 7 when it says, then came he. That was Abraham's choice. And then it's marvelous there that in that chapter, in those verses there, that we have uh, in the verse 4 there where it says, he removed him into this land. God moved Abraham into this land. God helped Abraham. Abraham made his choice, but Abraham was very much like the one who said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And he did. And so God helped him. And that means that God is our helper. And that's the great verse in Psalm 54, 4, where David says, behold, God is mine helper. We decide to follow God, and then he helps us to follow through and decide in our decision. And that's the greatness of our Savior. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we want to encourage you to visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Every message is available for free listening and download from Tom Cantor at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. We've also added a new online form where you can sign up for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor brings out the richness of the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament, teaching you one verse at a time with a great thought for each day. Now, we also have an online form at friendshipwithgod.org where you can sign up for our Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God newsletter where you'll hear about salvations of Jewish people coming to Christ, great testimonies from our Israel Restoration Ministries, missionaries that are out there doing the work, reaching the Jewish people across America and the world. Sign up at friendshipwithgod.org for this newsletter. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time.